Welcome to the Imago Day Eastside Gathering Podcast. Good morning, Imago. Michelle Jones, and we are wrapping up our series on Kingdom Citizens. Now, for the past few weeks, we've been talking about how we pledge allegiance to our King while still maintaining and navigating the realities of our diverse and divided and sometimes hostile world. So what does it mean to live out the values of a kingdom that has broken in but has not quite fully come? How do we make the most of this meantime before new creation? So unless you've lived under a rock for the past eight, nine, 10 months, you know that this country is in a bit of a mess right now, right? So 75 plus million people voted for a new president and they're dancing in the streets because they have a new president and the first black, first Asian, first woman, vice president. Kavala, Kavala, woo! Okay, but 70 million plus people are also very angry and very upset because even though they turned out in record numbers, it wasn't enough. The world is more awake right now to racism and injustice, but while that is true, the deniers and defenders of the status quo are also more awake. So there's a lot of violence and more unchecked outrage than we know what to do with. We may have found a vaccine for coronavirus, and yet we've still lost 250,000 people to it, and the numbers are still climbing. This pandemic has taken a toll on us, and not the least of it are rhythms of gathering together, whether it's in church or at work or with friends or with families or for holidays. It's hard not to set up camp in the pits of despair. And then when you read in Philippians where Paul says, rejoice, it's hard not to wanna say, shut up, Paul, you're not in 2020. But the truth is, is that we can. Rejoice, that is, because we are kingdom citizens. This mess of a world is not our home. We hope in and long for a promised land, different and better than this land. And because we have a king who keeps his promises, we can live like it's already a done deal. So last week, Rick talked from Matthew 6 about the kingdom economy and how we can overcome our temptation to worry about what could happen to us by remembering that we have a God who treasures us. He generously pours out his love and provision, so we are free to do the same. Well, this week, I wanna kind of pick up where Rick left off. I wanna cross the finish line in Matthew 7. Home base is going to be Matthew 7, 1 through 12. Now, last week we looked at the inward things of idol, idolatry and worry and anxiety, and also hope, the hope that we have in a God who places a high value on us. So right after that, in that passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus transitions us to a more outward facing focus, to what we think about and how we treat other people. And this pattern happens all throughout scripture. You see people who encounter God and they're with him and there's this relationship that happens and connection that happens with God and then he faces them outward into the world. It happened with Abraham, it happened with Moses. We saw him with God in the burning bush and up on, the, up on Mount Sinai and then he points him outward. We see it with Mary, God encounters her and uh, through the angel Gabriel and deals with her and then points her outward. We see it with Joseph, we see it with David, we see it with Ruth and we see it with Jesus as well. We see it with Paul. And we also should be able to see it with us because we 
have received our kingdom citizenship. We have this relationship with God, and now he wants to point us outward toward the world. So what does this look like for us, especially in this mess of a world that we live in right now? Well, the first thing it looks like is it looks like becoming your brother's brother before you become your brother's keeper. So let's look at Matthew 7, 1 through 5. It says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So when he first starts talking about what it means to not judge people, a lot of us get really uncomfortable with that and we say, well, I'm not judging anybody. I'm not condemning them. You know, it's, and, and that word judge actually simply means to decide who a person is, and also to decide that you're not like them, to literally place them in distinction with yourself and separate from yourself. Because you yourself have set yourself up as being somehow more righteous or righter than they are. Check the last 20 or so social media posts that you've put there, and then ask yourself this question. What would the people you disagree with think that you think of them? What would the people that you disagree with or who are on the other side of you and your opinions, what do you think they would think you think of them? So judgment looks like a lot of things. It can look like thinking the worst of others or thinking that you're better than they are discounting or dismissing somebody because of their experience. Maybe it's their, their experience is different from yours. Only seeing people through their faults, defining people by their worst mistakes. How many times have you said, well, they deserve this? Deciding that they don't deserve good or forgiveness, deciding that they do deserve bad things or punishment, suspecting their motives and assuming that they can't be trusted because you have placed them on this other side or using a different standard for them than the one that you would use for yourself or for the people that you like, or you question their faith simply because they are on another side of an issue from you. So what that does is that causes you to actually say, we're different, you're separate, and on some level, you're not as good as I am. And it makes you, according to this passage, blind to actually seeing who they really are, but more importantly, seeing who you actually are. That's the, that's the humorous way Jesus looks at uh, the speck in their eye versus the plank in your eye. How can you even see another human being if there is a plank in your eye? So you have to turn that, that vision that you have, that judgment that you might have, you have to turn it on yourself first. And then you have to see your sameness so that you can then become your brother's brother before you then take the speck out of his eye. So when you do that, what happens is you put yourself in a position to be able to help somebody after you've actually been able to see your sameness, not your differences. So instead of saying, you need help because you are not like me and I need to make you more like me, 
you're actually saying, you are just like me and I can help you with that. And I can pray for you in that place. And I get that and I know that. So it also says, check your judgment at the door, but he goes on in Matthew 6, in Matthew 7, 6 to say, don't check your brain or your discernment at the door. He says, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under, underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. In other words, it doesn't ex this doesn't excuse us from engagement, but rather what it says is to remember exactly who people are when you're talking to them and not to condemn them. Because think about Jesus. He was on a cross dying and he still said, Father, forgive them because they don't know. Before that, he was on a hill looking out at Jerusalem at a number of people who would never come to know him and never believe him. And yet he cried, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I want to gather you. And that's what we're called to do as kingdom citizens, to care about those people who not only think differently than we do, but believe differently than we do. So then the first thought that comes to my mind, and maybe I'm just the only one, but the first thought that comes to my mind when I see passages that talk about loving your, loving your brother and not judging and caring for other people, the first thing that comes into my brain is, what about me? Who's gonna look out for me? Who's gonna take care of me? Because it's really easy to care for other people and then feel, especially in this season, exposed and vulnerable and sometimes taken advantage of. And it's hard not to look back to make sure that somebody's got my back or at least that I've got my back, especially now. But what makes this makes this possible for us to have that encounter with God and to do this is found in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, where he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who finds, who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. And so it's important to understand that when when we read passages like this and when we think about what Rick said last week about the fact that we have a God who treasures us and so we, we don't worry about what we're gonna wear or what we're gonna eat or where we're gonna live, we don't worry about those things because we have a God who takes care of us. It's easy to read these as instructions. Somebody might actually tell you, look, just don't worry. Do for other people, just don't worry about yourself. But this is actually, when we read it as just information, or as instructions versus reading this passage as an invitation from God, then, then, then we struggle. So if we look at this passage, for example, as God saying to us, not do this or do that, or not this is the information I want you to know, but rather, hey, come here, ask and seek and knock. I wanna show you something if we actually see this as an invitation, then we realize that we are not alone because it's easy to give instruction or to give information and then walk away and make us responsible for that. But God never does that. From Genesis to Revelation, it is always about his invitation to us to join him. And this passage is no different. So the things that you wanna look at in this passage, I want you to see a few things. First, I want you to see the tense of these verbs, to ask 
and to seek and to knock, they're not just one time thing. The way they're, they're uh, the way the words are formed here, the way they are in the Greek, it's to keep asking and to keep knocking and to keep seeking. It's something that you continue to do over and over and over again. It is continuous, ongoing motion. So you keep on asking so that you keep on receiving. You keep on seeking so that you keep on finding and you keep on knocking so that it will keep being opened unto you. And then you need to see that there's a progression, that he invites us to ask for what we need in the now. Then he invites us to seek, which means that we need to let go of some things and to go look for what's next. And then he invites us to enter into something new. And so it's this progression that he's inviting us into. And this constant process of doing this, this asking, this seeking, this knocking, what it does is it grows us and it progressively faces us outward because what we find when we do get to those places is what? We find where he says, we find a God that loves us. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In other words, to those who ask and seek and knock. And so when you look at that, what he's saying to you is he's saying, look, you are guaranteed that there's going to be a good and positive outcome to your asking, to your seeking, and to your knocking. Because the same way parents love their children, I love you more. The same way that kids can trust their parents to take care of them, you can trust me more. Because I see you, because I love you, and because I got you. Not just one time, but all the time. Every time you ask, I see you. Every time you seek, I love you. Every time you knock, I got you, always. That's what it means to belong to the king. That's what it means to live as a kingdom citizen. This relationship that we have with God, this constant invitation to ask and to knock and to seek, this constant always receiving and finding and being opened into something new. This is what sets us up and forms us into people that can go out and love the world. This, this is the job. This is what it means to be a kingdom citizen. Let's look at Matthew 7, 12. He says, to everything, he says, so, which means all this stuff that came before, I need you to come to this conclusion, so, in everything, everything, not some things, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is how we practice our, our, our kingdom citizenship. In everything you do, everything, you do to others what you would have them do to you. And he says, on this hangs all the law in the and the prophets. Now that might sound familiar because you remember when Jesus said to, to the, the practicers of law, he said to them, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On this hangs all the law and the prophets. And so what he's, what he's saying here is that actually looking outward 
and doing to others what you would have them do to you or do for you. It, that is what hang, That is what all of that comes down to. Loving your neighbor is what all of that comes down to. Now, some of you recognize this as the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, and the truth is, is that Jesus didn't invent the golden rule. When he said this in Matthew, it wasn't the first time that it was ever said. As a matter of fact, it goes back to 500 BC, 700 BC. It's found in Buddhist teachings. It's found in the Analects of Confucius. And it's also found in the writings of Socrates. Around AD 20, Rabbi Hillel, challenged by a Gentile to summarize the law in the short time that the Gentile could stand on one leg, reportedly said to him, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. All the rest is commentary. Go and learn it. He didn't invent it, but Jesus did perfect it because the difference between what Jesus says and what everybody else says, Buddhists, Confucius, Rabbi Hillel, Socrates, all of them, the difference is, is that Jesus is the one who actually turned that phrase to a positive. Socrates, for example, said, do not do to others what would anger if, what would anger you if done to you by others. What does that mean? That means that by living as kingdom citizens, that we live loving, not as a spectator sport, but that it is actively participating in the things that happen positively participating. A doctor's oath begins with first, do no harm. We go beyond that. And we say first, last, and always do good as a kingdom citizen. The neighbor, Jesus tells us, is not the man or the woman who is close enough to see their suffering or hurting and doesn't do anything to add to their pain, but rather it is the one who steps close enough to help relieve that pain. So when we engage in our practices, hear and obey, to celebrate and Sabbath, hospitality, vocation, generosity, we are positively living out our kingdom citizenship. We have seen the invitation of God to ask and to seek and to knock. And then we have become that very same invitation for other people. Now, Rick has no idea I'm gonna do this. He's gonna kill me when he finds out that I did it. But seriously, you need to get his book, <laughs> his book, Faith for This Moment, because it really walks through these practices and why we do them and why they matter. And it gives us a really good picture of our kingdom citizenship. Sorry, Rick, I know, I'm doing it. So get this book, seriously. Now that I've said that, we live in a mess of a world right now. But in the middle of this really big mess that the world is, there's a huge, huge opportunity. Sorry about that noise. There's a huge opportunity. For those who believe, we actually can shine more in the darkness that is in this world right now. We have an opportunity to trust and obey God when the world is telling us to just look out for ourselves. We have an opportunity to celebrate and Sabbath while the world is telling us to panic and complain. We have the opportunity to let the Spirit speak through us in our work to make us fruitful. When the world would have us just give voice to our ambition and to take credit for our productivity, to be hospitable 
when the world is telling us that there's just room for us, and to be generous when the world wants us to believe that there's only enough for us. To be kingdom citizens, we are to be people who do more than just do no harm. We do good for others. We belong to God, and he is a God whose whisper is louder than all the noise around us if we just listen. And he's saying, I see you, I got you, I love you. And then he turns us out toward the world and says, now go tell your neighbor the same thing. Let's pray. God, thank you for being the kind of God who invites us to be with you, not who pushes instructions on us and directions on us and just tells us, go and figure out how to do it on your own but rather you invite us into yourself, into the goodness and the love that you are and that you have. And it transforms us and makes it possible for us to go out into the world and offer that same invitation to others, to ask me, to seek me, to knock so that I'm open to others. Father, we thank you for our kingdom citizenship. We ask that in this season that you would show us what it looks like to shine brighter in this dark place. We ask you to show us what it means to love others the way we love ourselves. God, I'm so grateful for you, for this series, for this church, for our people. And I thank you, God, that you continue to grow us and to make us more. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.